0: Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision.
1: More today on the Bible's influence in Australia through our history and through the formation of our culture. There is a new book on the bookshelves. It's a largely hidden history and has amazing perspectives on who we are and how our nation developed. Meredith Lake is the author of the book called The Bible Down Under. From convicts to Anzacs, Aboriginal activists to writers and artists, all kinds of Australians have made use of the Bible. And Meredith Lake, a renowned historian, her work on the social and cultural history of religion is widely published and Meredith is back with us today. Meredith Lake, welcome back to 2020.
2: Thanks very much. It's great to be back with you.
1: Well, Meredith, it's only a few weeks ago we were chatting and uh, we were talking about your book. And it's timely for us today uh, to come back to some other elements of your book, which we just didn't have time to unpack last time and a timely uh, opportunity for us to talk today because uh, over the next week there are some very significant things happening. We have been talking about it on 2020, but the 7th of March is very significant, uh, the Bicentennial of the Bible Society. And your book uh, is connected with uh, what's happened with uh, the Bible Society, its Bicentennial celebrations. What is the connection and how significant is it to be talking about the Bible at this time?
2: Well, I think... Uh, Australians sometimes can feel, or we, we often hear, I think, the story of Australia is, oh, this is a nation of convicts, um, people who'd rather keep the church at arm's length, who've never really given much thought to God or taken Christian things very seriously. We've got this kind of narrative, if you like, this myth about Australia as a godless or secular kind of society from the outset. But as you mentioned, the first, um, one, one, the oldest organisation actually that still exists in Australia um, is the Bible Society. And it was started on the 7th of March, that's on Tuesday, 200 years ago in 1817, uh, to organise around the whole task of making sure that people in Australia had access uh, to the Bible. And that's actually the cause, if you like, that Australians have organised around for the longest in a continuous way. And I think that even that fact that the the Bible Society is so old that it's Australia's longest-living organisation kind of must help us question, I think, this idea that that God's never really been in the picture um, in the story of Australian life and culture. Um, Putting God on the agenda, if you like, is always... It's a very long-standing interest of at least some people in Australian society. And it's... Yeah, that bicentenary is obviously... You know, it's a great a great opportunity for us as Australians to think about, well, what what difference has it made that the Bible's been uh, part of you know on people's bookshelves and in people's lives are uh, for such a long time.
1: Well Meredith next Tuesday is the 7th. That's the actual date of the bicentenary, the 200 years for the Bible Society. This coming Sunday however is the closest Sunday to that Tuesday. It's the 5th of March on Sunday, a national celebration of the Bible Society's bicentenary in Australia too and there's some uh, there's some events and there's all sorts of things that'll be happening on that time I imagine that people at the Bible Society would like people in churches all over the nation to stop and pause and maybe reflect on the significance of 200 years. Is that the sort of plan that you've been hearing?
2: I mean, they're planning a lot of services, like church services is kind of an appropriate way to to, to mark this bicentenary. Um, If you go to BibleSociety.org.au, there's actually a list of services happening all around the country. Um, and maybe some of your listeners would like to to get along to one or you can watch the main service which is kind of coming from sydney you can stream it online um, and and kind of be part of part of it but yes the bible society is kind of planning a big a big birthday celebration um, but it's not just about the organization i think the point is about what's what's this book what's been the center of this this activity um uh, and and what difference has it made what is there to celebrate and to actually kind of uh, reflect on that would be a great way to mark those 200 years because it's a big story, it's a complicated story um, and can a- always repay a bit of reflection. I think that's been my own experience.
1: Well, um, you know, you it, looking, it's, yeah. it's the biggest story. It's not just a big story. This is the biggest story uh, because uh, this is the thing that has shaped our culture in such a diverse and such a significant way. Just before we get into our conversation about uh, creativity and the Bible. You mentioned a church service on Sunday. Now, the one you're referring to is the one uh, that the Bible Society is doing in partnership with Hillsong, which is Australia's biggest uh, standing church, uh, live-streamed in churches across the nation, uh, key speakers, including the Anglican Archbishop Glenn Davies in Sydney and Hillsong's Brian Houston. So uh, certainly a significant co- collaboration and a celebration for the Bible Society coming up. Let's get into our conversation. And I mentioned that it's a good time for listeners, if they want to participate today, uh, to call in and talk about how the Bible has inspired your imagination. Because I imagine when we talk about the way that the Bible influences culture, is because it has inspired imaginations. Uh, that's, a, that's an interesting and, and quite profound aspect of what the Bible does, Meredith.
2: Yeah, I think it's a really important part of the story of the Bible. I mean, it obviously, the Bible has an impact in the sense that people, Christians, accept it as God's Word and kind of bend their lives to it as God's Word and then live that out in all their relationships and activities. So that, that's one really important source of its influence, if you like. Speaking historically, but this this other this second source, if you like, is that it, you know I mean anybody who's read the Bible will understand that you know there's there's some really powerful stories um, that really stay with you. You can think about the you know the parable of um, the prodigal son for for a lifetime. You can reflect on the story of Adam and Eve in Eden and, and, and all that happened there, and and that can shape your whole worldview. There's a, a deep reservoir. No, just to give two examples um, for, for thought and reflection and trying to understand what's this world we live in and who are we as people? Um, what does it mean to live and interact with, with God and each other in this world um, that we inhabit? And so, it's and people, whether they're Christians or not, have gone to those stories and really mulled them over, not just, I mean, ordinary people like you and I, but also some of our greatest kind of creative minds, um, writers, painters, poets, um, musicians have have kind of grappled with this and 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 the things that people have created out of that are very much part of our part of our culture
1: well meredith is there let me ask you this is there a sort of unique australian expression Uh, of those interpretations and those imaginings that come from the Bible? I mean, we're talking, uh, you know, right back to uh, when the Bible first arrived on our shores. Uh, Is there something especially unique about the way Australians have imagined the Bible through those years?
2: Oh, I mean, that's a fantastic question. It's kind of the million-dollar question for a historian like me. I don't think there's one simple answer. I'm sorry. It'd be nice if there was. But what what struck me is that the Bible it arrived, as as everybody knows, you know, with the first fleet, with convicts, with military officers, as well as with the chaplain, and so it kind of arrived um, as part of the baggage, if you like, of Christians, but also people who kind of were a bit <laughs> had a short fuse when it came to the Bible, or perhaps um, didn't have much time for it anymore. So the, the story of the Bible has always been contested. And there's always been an argument about the Bible, if you like. And I think that certainly, you can see that in creative life as well. There have been people who've accepted the Bible as God's word, and then there's been a lot of people who've had questions about it or even arguments with God about it. Um, and it's that kind of, the Bible as a troubling or a challenging or even an unsettling kind of thing. I think that's that's a major theme. Um, not just the Bible as something people have loved and found life in. Um, So it's that kind of energy around what is this word and what do we do with it and should I be paying attention to it or not, that those kinds of questions um, are are very much part of the story all the way along.
1: Well, that is so profound because when you talk about arguments about the Bible, uh, I imagine that there is a fairly shallow way to talk about the Bible and the Bible's influence by saying, well, you just accept it at face value and you just believe it uh, word for word in a literal sense. But really the arguments bring out the richness, don't they? Uh, That brings out the depth of understanding. Uh, The arguments, whether they're arguments over interpretation or arguments over the way you apply those things practically in day-to-day life, uh, these are the sorts of things that actually have brought out the richness of an Australian character in some of the stories we'll talk about today. Mm.
2: I mean, I mean, if you take the example of uh, about the time of federation, just to give you an example, there's kind of two big ways that Australians were um, thinking about the Bible at that time. There was kind of one group that kind of had a very, can I say, Old Testament kind of model. They, they read the stories of God and his people, Israel, and kind of applied that to the nation of Australia. They thought, well, if we're righteous, you know, God will bless us. If, if we're sin, well, that will be a reproach to us and and the, the, you know the fortunes of the nation will suffer so there was that kind of model so for that for that kind of group having laws around temperance around divorce all those kinds of issues that were really huge at the end of the 19th century and that we're discussing again now that was really important that legislation reflected for that group what they thought god wanted for people um because that was how you know righteousness exalteth the nation and sin is a reproach to any people that verse from proverbs um there was that kind of model of applying the bible to australia but then there was another model that kind of focused a bit more kind of on the new testament and it was a bit it wasn't about the nation so much as the ethics of how should we live and for that group kind of the sermon on the mount was really important and they they had a picture of jesus as kind of the ideal man not always as a savior but as an ideal man and and so for that group the most important thing was well we need to kind of Um, love each other, Jesus on the side of the poor and the outcast and the downtrodden and the drunkard, and we need to um, create a national life that that includes all those kinds of people and not worry about what those wowsers are saying. So it's an argument, and your listeners can make up their minds about the strengths and weaknesses of those two models. But those two different ways of reading and applying the Bible to, to cultural life and to social life, I mean, that's where a lot of the arguments around federation and whether to have God in the Constitution or not, that they're being shaped by these different readings, if you like. So, yeah, for me, certainly the question of not just do people read the Bible, but how do they read it and what do they think it means and how does that extend into their, their life in society and in civil life? Those are really huge questions. And I think federation is just one example, but you can see um, at lots of points how that's actually shaped um, the very structures, the very bones, if you like, of, of the nation. It's, and it's the argument, not just the Bible per se, but, but the argument about the Bible that's been so influential.
1: Well, Meredith, when we look back, I mean, there is a sense, isn't there, we can, uh, we can philosophize about uh, the past and we can uh, talk about those things uh, in a sort of a, you know, uh, a detached way but really i suppose when we start to talk about the influence of the bible on australian culture we have to uh, put some sort of uh, substance to that we have to talk about the literature that we have had in our history in australia we have to talk about the popular music that's shaped our culture the the visual arts uh, we even have to talk about uh, indigenous art because that also is a reflection of the Bible in Australian society. When we talk about all these different uh, genres, uh, I suppose we have to put some names, we have to put some titles. Uh, of uh, of works that have have come out and that have shaped our our history because that's the way that we can actually look back and say, you know what, Uh, what we're talking about as we discuss these things, the shaping of Australian society, comes back to those things that you can actually point to, that you can find in the library, that you can go to YouTube and you can look at and you can see the way that everything has been shaped. So where would we start? Would we start with literature? How would uh, how would we talk about uh, literary art, uh, literary uh, works in Australian history, Meredith?
2: Well, I think that's a great place to start because, in a sense, the Bible itself, like the 66 books, is probably in itself the, the piece of literature, if you like, that's that's been most widely circulated in Australia's so history. That's the, the book that has most commonly been found on Australian shelf so even as literature the Bible's been really influential but then of course there's all the writers who read the Bible and then weave its language and its stories into their work And I've got a few examples for you some of your listeners um, well virtually all your listeners will uh, will know Henry Lawson and his poems and his short stories um, written in that time I was just describing in the late 19th century as Australia was just beginning to federate um, He he was really interesting. He wasn't a Christian in any kind of conventional sense. He kind of got into the, the alternative spiritualities, if you like, that were very popular at that time. But but that said, he said he had an immense liking and respect for Jesus. And, and this, this is what he said about the Bible. I consider the Christian Bible to be one of the truest books ever written, a book of life and human nature by men who knew it. So he didn't see it as God's word to the world, but he still recognized that there was something in the Bible that, that revealed a true humanity, that, that explained what people really were like and what made them and where they, where they went wrong and all those kinds of things. He said, we're freethinkers and atheists who found the Bible true. Having remar- Remarkable comments from Henry Lawson. And some of your readers might have read his wonderful short story, The Drover's Wife, it's, uh, it's a really powerful short story about a woman on her own in a little hut in the bush putting her kids to bed when she realises there's a snake um, in, in the house and obviously she can't, can't go to sleep while, while she doesn't know where it is and she stays up all night uh, trying to find um, and watch for the snake uh, that's somewhere around the house under the floorboards Um, She puts the kids to bed up on the kitchen table so they won't get bitten in their sleep. Um, It's it's a gripping, a gripping story. And in the end, just sorry to your listeners who haven't heard, um, the dog, her dog finds the snake and, and grabs it with his teeth and shakes it. And this is what Henry Lawson writes. He shakes the snake as though he felt the original curse in common with mankind. And it's a line about just, you know, that. The snake is a symbol of evil, which any Bible reader will recognize from the story of um, the serpent in the Garden of Eden. And Henry Lawson uses that image to kind of give us this really dramatic picture of the dog shaking the snake. And then the woman grabs it, uh, lifts the mangled reptile on the point of her stick, Lawson writes, carries it to the fire and throws it in. And that's kind of the climax of the story. And again, any Bible reader will will have in the back of their minds that that amazing story in Numbers 21, where Moses raises up the bronze snake on the stick, which is a story about salvation. And Jesus talks about that as well in John 3, where just as the snake was raised up in the wilderness, so the Son of Man will be be lifted up, now talking about his own death. And Lawson's using that, that story to describe the woman lifting up the snake on the point of her stick um, and using the Bible subtly, but to show that this the family is saved, the the, the snake doesn't win, evil doesn't triumph. Um, you know, this is this is the symbol of 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 redemption um, in the face of evil. Um, it's, I mean, there's lots of examples in in Lawson's poetry, in his short stories. They're often subtle like that, um, but you can see the stories of the Bible at, at certain points, and the image of Jesus that he got from the Gospels woven throughout. His
0: writing, Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective.
1: 2020 on Vision. Meredith Lake, renowned historian and her work on social and cultural history of religions, widely published. Her latest book is called The Bible Down Under. We're talking through all sorts of issues today to do with the creativity in Australia that is shaped by the Bible. Uh, Meredith, let's listen in for a moment uh, to something of uh, someone who is a legend uh, in Australian country music, and uh, a little bit of a, a listen in to Slim Dusty for a moment, because Slim Dusty also was into the gospel. Uh, let's uh, let's hear something of uh, from one of his uh, gospel songs uh, on an album uh, that was recorded from a concert in Wagga Wagga. Let's have a little listen to what Slim Dusty was singing.
3: I think when we are in deep trouble that most of us look to the great one above. So we call this one simply, He's Just the One. My clothes may be old and look ragged As I lie neath the stars by the bed. I dream there is one Consolation I have a king For a friend But he's just the one Who made the mountains He's just the one Who lights the stars He's just the one Who sends the sunshine He's just the one Who made the flowers Just the one who hangs the rainbow, he's just the one who placed the pearls, he's just the king of kings in heaven, he's just the one who made the world.
1: Okay, we're listening into Slim Dusty and our guest. uh, uh, Meredith Lake, who's with us. Meredith, it's interesting that we'd be playing a Slim Dusty song, but really if we're talking about the way that many Australians would have been shaped uh, in their lives, would have been through country music. And, of course, uh, Slim Dusty is a living... Well, uh, not uh, living, but he's, a, he's certainly a legend of of uh, Australian music. Uh, your thoughts on, on the importance of a song like that?
2: Well, I mean, Slim Dusty wrote hundreds of songs, as we all know, but I think... Uh one of the the things that he's articulating in that in that song is is kind of almost a a folk a folk understanding of Jesus um, as, as as kind of a, a almost as a mate, but at the same time the King of Kings in heaven. And it's that interesting. I think there's something really Australian about that um, that Henry Lawson used to write about too. Actually, that this idea that that you could have a friend in Jesus, like the old Sunday school song says. Um, who was kind of with you, even when you were on your own or out back or in the bush or something like that, and this wasn 't just any friend but the the friend who made the world and I think that kind of spirituality, if you like um, has been very common in Australia, um, especially until until recent generations and and slim Dusty 's music I mean that song is just one one articulation of that, um, but I think it'll be familiar to a lot of your listeners um, what what it 's like to think about Jesus. Uh, in that way,
1: um, yeah. And when you are a musician, an artist, and I suspect this would be the case uh, right from, you know, the beginning of when music would have been played uh, uh, here in our Australian society, uh, that, uh, that there was always someone who was going to say, uh, I need to produce a gospel album. Uh, I need to have some songs in there about the King of Kings, about Jesus. Uh, is this something that you think has been typical in Australia's history?
2: Well, so much of kind of music in the Western tradition has has derived from kind of religious sources that the story of the Bible has, has so often been the inspiration for, for Western music, classical, but also, you know, in numerous other genres, including rap and rock and roll. Um, indigenous music often obviously has its own sources and traditions. Um, but I think from, from the First Fleet, the man who brought the first piano to Australia was a, a surgeon on the First Fleet, George Wogan, His dad had a a doctorate in music from Cambridge and had taught the piano to Charles Wesley, um, of all people. I mean, it's an incredible story. So the son of Charles Wesley's piano teacher was on the first fleet and brought out the piano uh, with him. I'm not sure if he ever played uh, religious uh, songs or hymns or anything like that, or any of Wesley's songs for that matter. Uh, But he certainly um, brought music to Australia in that tradition um, that, that had the Bible bound up with it, if you like.
1: Now there's another more modern artist and someone who's considered something of a national treasure and of course uh, when we talk about indigenous uh, gospel music uh, Gurumul Yunapingu uh, you've been a bit of a fan of his no doubt
2: I mean he's been called the voice of Australia and I think anybody
1: who listens to
2: Gurumul I mean it's just such a uh, an exquisite voice an extraordinary voice um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's just wonderful that uh, but it's been, been recorded, and he's sharing his art with such a wide audience.
1: In fact... I mean, uh, it's
2: astonishing, yeah.
1: In fact, I've got a little bit of a clip here uh, of Gurumal and uh, he's singing with Paul Kelly and uh, another Australian artist uh, who doesn't necessarily uh, wear the banner, I'm a Christian, but has been very deeply influenced and we're on the way lead up to news. And I wonder whether we might just have a little listen to this song in the lead up to the news. And we'll continue our conversation beyond news, talking about creativity, imagination and how the Bible has shaped our culture. So let's have a little listen in here and we'll continue our conversation after the news. We'll also take calls on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen, 316 316 But have a little listen in here. Uh, Gurumul. And uh, he released a gospel album just a couple of uh, years ago. And uh, for listeners who are on Elko Island, and you'll be impressed to know that, uh, Meredith, uh, we're listened to on Elko Island. And, uh, and this is where Gurumal grew up. In fact, he went into, uh, the, the first time he heard music really was uh, in the Methodist church on Elko right. Island those
2: those, in, those influences are really clear in the gospel album it's a uh, it's an exquisite it's an exquisite recording and i think it reflects that whole rich history of indigenous spirituality and music
1: okay well um, let's
2: fused with the missionary influence for let's, sure let's
1: let's have a little listen in up to the news mm-hmm. There's so many other dimensions to talk about. Let's talk a little bit about art, uh, painting, uh, the visual arts. Uh, what are your thoughts on the way that visual artists have been uh, shaped by the Bible?
2: I mean, for centuries of European art, I mean, the Bible has given artists their subjects, their symbols, um, their themes to grapple with and reflect on in what they're painting and and representing. And it's interesting in Australia that when, when European artists first came here, they were actually most interested not in those grand themes of kind of um, existence, but in, it was a more scientific model for drawing. They, they drew plants and animals in this strange new country that was so unfamiliar to them. But once you start to get European art in Australia kind of developing and maturing, um, the Bible and its stories and its symbolic economy, if you like, the, the, the symbols that it gives an artist to, to use, um, start to become a lot more prominent. And so by the time you get to the earlier 20th century and really kind of iconic Australian artists like Margaret Preston and Arthur Boyd, um, people like that, um, kind of the giants of Australian art, uh, biblical topics and symbols start to become more pronounced in, in the things that Australian painters are producing. Interestingly, yeah, there's, there's lots of great
1: yeah. uh, Meredith, uh, even some of the artists who have been uh, inspired in their imagine, imagination by the Bible uh, haven't always come out with uh, the most... Uh, 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 the sorts of, uh, you know, clean-cut, uh, interesting ways to talk about Jesus. I know that you mention in your book Reg Mombasa, and a lot of uh, listeners will be familiar with some of the T-shirts that uh, a lot of his art appeared on, the Mambo T-shirts, which uh, which for some people would say almost blasphemous uh, and yet well, inspired.
2: Some people said they are but-
1: <laughs> well no, that's right
4: some people haven't said almost
1: <laughs> all right I, i'm probably being a little bit too diplomatic here but but yes right. uh, but you know but even though uh it is art which as a christian you'll judge it to be bad uh there is you know, a sense in yeah. which it's in it's still inspired by uh, biblical themes
2: yeah i mean i mean bad's probably going too far for me but i think um Reg Mombasa he said, very famous, probably the most recognisable Australian artist with all that work with Mambo. And remember the, the big blow-up inflatables at their closing ceremony of the Olympics? I mean, that billions of people around the world have seen Reg Mombasa's work. And you're right, he has this great character that mm-hmm. turns up in quite a few of his works called The Australian Jesus. Um, and this is a character that, according to Mombasa, was born in Bethlehem Car Park, which is in uh, um, Hunter Valley in New South Wales. And when he was born, a very wise trio came to visit a koala, a chicken, and a kangaroo. And they brought uh, him special presents, a football, a pie, and some chips. And this character, Australian Jesus, grows up um, and takes a trip to India, like a gap year or something, and starts wearing flowing robes and sandals and grows his hair and becomes kind of a spiritual seer. Now, it's kind of a, a humorous backstory, I guess. But Mombasa actually uses him in his paintings to... Um, I mean, in some some people might read them as blasphemous, um, and they have he's definitely been criticised in that way. To pick up other themes that, for Mombasa at least, go quite to the heart of the Christian message. Um, so there's a um, some of it's playful, some of it's serious. There's there's paintings about Australian Jesus welcoming the refugees. Because for Mombasa that's a core a core task of Christians to welcome the outsider especially the vulnerable and the poor. And then some of them are just funny. There's a there's a, a, a really, I, I really like it, but there's a, a painting, Australian Jesus at the football, uh, which was painted in the mid-1990s. Uh, um, and... and it's called The Miracle of Pies and Beer, where Jesus um, feeds, um, he has five pies and two cans of beer, and he feeds 4,000 people at the SCG. So it's kind of this Australian rendering, if you like, of that famous miracle uh, in the Gospels.
1: And uh, it is uh, wrong, it is blasphemous, it is uh, bad, uh, but the fascination <laughs> with Jesus is, uh, and I didn't say it was bad art, I mean people look at art in a different way, uh, you know, everyone's got their own opinion. But there's a certain uh, sense in which this fascination with Jesus is, is what you're getting at when you say uh, that, uh, that the Bible shapes imagination, even though sometimes it's not what uh, your typical Christian believer is going to think is good.
2: Well, I think that's, that's really true. I mean, Jesus is a compelling figure. I mean, mo- Muslims find Jesus interesting as well. He appears in their scriptures as well. And I think that it's not just people who are happy to go to church every Sunday who are interested in Jesus. And in Australian history and culture, Jesus has been a really compelling figure to all kinds of people, um, and not always in a comfortable way. There are plenty of Australians who found Jesus a bit challenging and a bit unsettling and um, And I think a lot of Christians have had that experience too, where having a close look at Jesus has actually kind of confronted them. And yeah, you're right that some people who've gone through that process have decided not to opt in to church religion, um, but remain fascinated by the figure of Jesus. I think that's actually a really long-standing pattern, if you like, in Australian cultural history.
1: Uh, we are taking calls, one eight hundred three sixteen three uh, sixteen. 316 316 This call has been uh, waiting very patiently. Uh, Katie in Victoria. Katie, thank you for waiting so patiently. It's been a little while. You've been on the phone now. Uh, what are your yeah. thoughts about our conversation today?
4: Um, yeah, I was actually thinking... Sorry, can you hear me properly? Yes. Um, I Sorry, I was actually going to just give a little testimony about my own life because it was only really obviously the Bible and the creativity that God's helped me bring to homeschooling and also I'm setting up a business at the moment.
1: That sounds great. What um, is your story?
4: has all come from the Bible, but I just wanted to mention quickly that recently I um, bought a, something from an op shop and it, it was some kind of pop art. I can't actually remember what it said now, but I remember it was making a mockery of the scripture but at the same time it was telling the truth. Does that make sense? That's uh, sort of it what, what Merritt is talking about.
3: Yep. Um, mm. So it
4: just reminded me of that, what you were just talking about, but I can't remember what it was now. Um, yeah, sorry, with homeschooling, there was a time, um, I've homeschooled for about, oh, I think, roughly eight years now, but there was a time where uh, we were very isolated, and actually I didn't have a car, and I was living in an extremely isolated community in um, up out past Omeo. Uh, near Mount Hossam in Victoria. And my car was off the road for some time because I couldn't afford to fix it. And I was stuck at home with the children. We're in primary school. Uh, they're in their primary school years. And we're, it was the Christmas holidays. And there was like, you know, less than 20 children in the whole town. And I thought, okay, what am I gonna do with the kids? To, you know, cause we were bored. And I thought, oh, I'll give them an art lesson. Surely I can draw better than they can. And anyway, what happened is through that, I actually discovered that I could do portrait drawing. Um, so that's something that happened to me. You know, I learned to be more creative. Um, the other thing is, is my 15-year-old daughter is a writer. Uh, she's already approached uh, a couple of publishers and um, she can write, I know this sounds like too good to be true, but she's really gifted and she can write like five books at one time while watching TV and knowing, knowing what's going on in each plot in each story, and he I certainly know is gifted.
1: Only... Katie, is there when do we come to uh, the Bible and the influence on creativity in your family? What's the link there?
4: Well, the thing is, I see her faith coming out in her writing. We pray every day. Uh, we've always prayed. We've had some like really hard times that we've been going through, which is one of the reasons you haven't heard from me for a while. Um, but yeah, just our whole life revolves around Jesus. And, you know, we pray several times a day together and I've brought them up to believe that your whole life is, um, is to focus on God and glorify God. And, you know, even the business that I'm doing has come out of like praying to God because I wanted to get off a pension um, and knew that that was the right thing to do to work because I had to, as a single mother, get the pension to be a homeschooler and I wanted to do that and it's just like many different ways like um that you know you can see Jesus in all of my daughter's books like she doesn't talk about her face much but when you read them um you know the prayer comes out in the books and the heart of god comes out in the books you know she writes about um you know, Katie,
1: that is a just an amazing story, and I will catch you short a little bit there because uh, I wanted to get some response from Meredith. But Meredith, uh, as we res- we talk about Katie and her daughter and that the way that that creativity comes out, I'm just reminded of what's in your book, The Bible Down Under, when you tell the story of Tim Winton, who uh, was in the in the garden with his grandmother, and she would uh, talk to him about uh, biblical themes and spiritual things, and. And uh, Tim Winton, one of our greatest uh, authors, uh, he's influenced in that way, and so the way the Bible is presented, even in the family setting, comes out in absolutely wonderful literature. Uh, your thoughts, Meredith?
2: Well, I think Tim uh, Winton's a great example. Many of your listeners, I'm sure, like me, will have loved his books. Um, he he came. His father had a very bad accident uh, when he was a young when he was young. So. It was that example of his grandma, but also the way the local church rallied around his father and mother in that hard time that led Winton's family towards the church. They ended up joining a local congregation, going three times every Sunday and kind of really going hook, line and sinker, if you like, for a Christian kind of community. Um, and he spent a lot of time um, engaging with the Bible through his youth uh, and early adulthood. And I think you can see that all through uh, many of his novels. Um it, 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 it. Our listeners have read the Turning in two thousand and five. That's even got kind of two born again Christians and a really harrowing conversion as a, as the centre of, of those short stories. Um, but I think I think uh, what Katie was saying that that way that telling stories through fiction through novels can somehow convey something of God. I think Winton's talked about his work in that kind of way that sometimes you know there's sermons and there's theology. But there, sometimes uh, a story, um, a novel, can communicate God's grace uh, and it has a really important place. Sometimes art can help us see the world in a new way or let a new perspective um, light up in our vision. And, and that, that's something that being a writer or a painter or a musician kind of can enable you to do. And, and Winton, I mean, he knows it's against the current to write from a Christian perspective and, and his own use of the Bible is complicated, I think. Um, but that the way that, that literature can open us, if you like, uh, to the lost language of the soul uh, is really powerful and really important. And you don't have to look to overseas writers all the time. There's some homegrown writers do that too.
0: Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020
1: on Vision. Our special guest is Meredith Lake. She's the author of a book called The Bible Down Under. We've been talking about creativity and how the Bible has inspired creativity through our entire history and has contributed to the people that we are today. Meredith, we're coming. We're in our last segment and uh, not too long to talk, but sometimes people think that people who read the Bible are rather narrow-minded, that there is a narrowness that comes from reading the Bible. And in one sense, Uh, That's going to be true as people focus on truth and belief and uh, understanding the things that the Bible is saying to us. But uh, what's your opinion of of the way the Bible shapes a person's creativity, shapes a person's mind?
2: Well, I think that idea that it's a narrowing thing, it's it's a really a bit of a historical anomaly. I think it's a strange kind of comment that reflects the time we live in right now. Because as the poet Kevin Hart has said, I mean, in the West, religion for a long time was hailed as the thing that opened us to reality and that, that actually religion, and particularly Christianity, was something enlarging that actually broadened people's horizons and put them in touch with something much vaster than their own immediate experience. Um, and this idea now that, oh no, religion closes us off, um, I, think, I think it's worth pausing and, and, and questioning that. And I think what we've been talking about with writers and musicians and painters who, Christian or not, have engaged with the Bible and found that great for their art, um, I think that, that's a reason, I think, to be cautious about that, that argument, that it's a narrowing thing. Um, you only have to look at, at, at the arts to see that it's a much bigger story than that. And one of my favourite stories, some of your listeners might have read Helen Garner, who writes well, mainly non-fiction. She, I think she's one of Australia's greatest living writers. She talks about having a really hard time trying to get a novel going uh, that she was wanting to write and kind of walking down the road one day and dropping into an op shop and just picking up an old, battered copy of the Bible and then deciding, because her writing was going badly, to to have a read and spend some time reading that and seeing if that would help solve the problem of writer's block. And so she did. She got a King James and a, a Catholic Jerusalem Bible as well and then went all the way back to Genesis and read the whole thing. And this is what you said about it. I remember being astonished at the intensity of the reading pleasure that I got as a writer from the Bible. There were passages of narrative in the Bible that made my hair stand on end with horror, with bliss and with technical awe. Like mean, just as a writer, reading the scriptures and kind of diving in and kind of going, Whoa, this is a huge story. I mean, she goes on to talk about how even the way Jesus launches his parables. You know, there was a man with two sons. Just those kinds of phrases. She uses them all uh, in her own writing. And this is how you launch a story. She learnt that in a way from. uh, You can see how she's borrowed from Jesus in some of that. But for her, certainly, the influence of the Bible as a as kind of the engine room of creativity has been really important. And I think all her readers are, are are the beneficiaries of that. That grappling that she did, but I think this idea that the Bible might narrow your imagination—I um, suspect that that might come from from people who haven't really had a good look at it for themselves. I, I wonder that because the, the great writers uh, and musicians and painters that we've had in Australia often have found the opposite. That when they have done the hard work of grappling with the Bible, it's opened up all kinds of uh, inspiration. Not always technically Christian, but it's been very inspiring. It's enlarged their imagination.
1: And what a great a great quote. Uh, Astonished at the reading pleasure I got from the Bible. And uh, that's not the sort of thing you often hear. People often struggle with the Bible, but there is a certain reading pleasure that you can get from your Bible reading, especially when you have done a little bit of study and understand some of the context from what you're reading. It does have an astonishing a pleasure about it, does it not, Meredith?
2: Mm, I think you're right, and it, it, it is a complicated book. And any of us who've tried to plow through, you know, the whole thing, often got bogged down in those, you know, the Jewish law or something like that. It's a tricky book. You're right, and having a bit of um, knowledge about what is this, what kind of text am I reading, what's the context here, all those things are really important. But there's also just on a level of you can read through a gospel with no background knowledge, and I think find Jesus a pretty interesting guy who tells some pretty great stories. So I think on one level, it is still accessible enough parts of it anyway for for anybody to just have a go at and see what happens.
1: Funny how we might uh, think that the Bible sometimes is complicated and there's been lots of arguments over it, but uh, when we think of the 200 years of the Bible Society, had the Bible been a simple read, people would have picked it up, read it, understood it, and put it down and never picked it up again. But because it's sophisticated, because it's complicated, because there are all sorts of plots, and because there are so many different uh, literary genres within the Bible, uh, it is the book that can consume a whole life. And uh, oh. that's what we've seen, isn't it? Uh, Bible consuming people's lives and uh, in, in inspiring imaginations in every area. We talked about literature. We talked about popular music. We talked about visual arts. Uh, we didn't get a chance to really touch on uh, some really big issues in indigenous art. And we might even have to save that for another day, Meredith, because uh, when we talk about the things that are coming up next Tuesday, the actual date, the 7th of March, That will be the 200th anniversary for the Bible Society in Australia. Uh, This weekend, on Sunday, of course, March the 5th, a special event taking place, uh, the Bible Society in partnership with Hillsong and a live-streamed program in churches across the nation with key speakers including the Anglican Archbishop in Sydney, Glenn Davies, and Hillsong's Brian Houston. Uh, It is a significant time for celebration. And uh, do you think, Meredith people will say, oh, the Bible Society, 200 years. Some people will just write that off and go, oh, well, just another organization getting older. But it's more significant than that. When you think of the Bible Society, Meredith, uh, how excited do you get about the historical impact the Bible Society has made on our culture?
4: Well, I think one of
2: the marks of the Bible Society is that they've always distributed the Bible, or from their beginning, without note or comment. And this idea that if you just put the Bible in somebody's hands, and see what happens you know it 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 will it will affect things it will change the world it will change a person's life i think i think that's a really that's an idea we don't want to let go of i think what happens when people get access to the bible whether they're a woman in pakistan who's learning to read for the first time and discovering that god loves her and that she matters um whether it's you know someone in a poor school somewhere or whether it's a great writer you know, who's looking for inspiration for their next novel. But when the Bible goes into someone's hands and they, they pick it up and read it, um, all kinds of things can result. And I think that's happened over the last 200 years um, with all kinds of implications. And I, I expect that it'll happen for the next 200 as well. And uh, it's, it's a matter of wait and see how all this turns out. Um, but I think the main thing is that it, that it remains available, that people don't lose access Uh, to the scriptures, that they still have opportunity to make up their own minds about what it's all about
1: well, Meredith, you are an inspiration, and I want to thank you so much for taking time to share your heart with our listeners all over Australia today. I'll point people to your new book. It's called The Bible Down Under. It's uh, it's not a long book. It's really easy to read, and it's an enjoyable read, and it's about the Bible and the influence on uh, the creative imaginations of people who've shaped our culture Uh, since the arrival of the First Fleet and uh, in some sense beyond the arrival of the First Fleet. But Meredith Lake, uh, The Bible Down Under is the name of the book and uh, people can get a hold of that uh, either through the Bible Society or in good Christian bookstores everywhere. Meredith, thanks so much for taking time to talk to us on 2020.
2: Thanks very much, Neil. Thank you, everyone.